Well, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, continuing on. And today we're looking at verses 29 through 34. And I'm going to read that for us now. Verses 29 through 34. Starting 1 Corinthians 15, starting verse 29. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, I say this to your shame. As Paul continues his conversation about the resurrection of Christ and how that forms and informs our life in Jesus Christ. In this section, do you have a bag of tricks or tools that you use, especially around the house? You know, this is a common, if you're doing something around the house, a screwdriver, that's a, that's a pretty common tool. Or if you really like tools, uh, the impact wrench, yeah, that's one of my favorites, I love that. But you know, there's another tool that some of us, a tool or toy that some of us had years ago. Anybody remember Silly Putty? Yeah, Silly Putty. Coming in a red egg. It's putty that can be bounced, stretched, pulled apart, put back together again, do it all over again. It wouldn't dry out. And it's a fairly good adhesive. And back in the day when ink was made out of, uh, out of uh, di a different oil stuff, you would often take like a comic and you'd press Silly Putty into a comic in a piece of paper on a newspaper, and you'd pull it up and you'd have the image. You could stretch it and transfer it. Oh, we could have a lot of fun with that and really do things, make characters do that. It doesn't work so good well now with the soy-based oils that are in now. But you know, occupational therapists have used Silly Putty for hand re recovery and rehabilitative hand exercises. It's really a versatile toy or tool. In fact, so versatile, do you know that those astronauts who went up in space in the Apollo astronaut in the Apollo uh, spaceship in 1968, they brought silly putty as well for their spacewalks. They'd use them to hold their tools from floating off into space with silly putty. So all kinds of things. Why do we talk about it? Because our, the evil one, our enemy, the evil one, he has a bag of tricks and tools that he tries to use to confuse us as the people of the resurrection. Versatile weapons that he has, lies, deception, false promises, and even his greatest weapon, which is death. The most versatile weapon of Satan is death. Using this to enslave people, to put people into fear. He thought that death would be the final it, which couldn't be escaped or avoided. The ultimate weapon of evil. Death is it. That's his ultimate weapon, using that as a threat. Because if he can hold that over people's head who don't have a hope of the resurrection, it's a finality. It's the end. One life and then it's gone to the tyrant's thinking. That's why so many are fearful of death or it's such an effective weapon. And it can be such a wicked thing to use to people. Death is the ultimate weapon of a kidnapper, tyrant, or terrorist, our enemy, Satan himself. But this weapon isn't the end of it. You know, it's interesting. Adam Ronnie was a, a man who was born a number of years ago, and 
When he was four years old, for some reason, the IRS declared him dead. And you see this, in 2019, he filed a tax return. 2009, he filed a tax return. And they said, you cannot claim yourself as a dependent because you're dead. <laughs> Think about that. Think about that. You're paying taxes, you're earning income, but the IRS disallowed him for claiming himself as a dependent because he was dead. Now, that doesn't seem to make sense to us, does it? But you know, this is a battle he's been fighting for over 12 years. And he hasn't got it fully resolved yet. And he still says, well, I keep, I keep filing the taxes, paying them even though I'm dead. And, uh, you know, that's what I do. But it's amazing how that can happen. But praise God, Jesus' resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has overthrown that enemy, that enemy of death. It doesn't make a deal with death or an agreement to negotiate find common ground, doesn't open possible door of action. No, G Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has defeated death, overthrown it. It hands the tyrant, the kidnapper, our enemy, Satan, their permanent defeat. That we can say, you may kill me, but in Christ I will rise to eternal life. The resurrection has diffused, has taken away the enemy's greatest weapon, death. This tool of Satan is a permanent permanent thing against us has been destroyed. Jesus makes the claim in Matthew 10, 28. He says, do not fear those who can kill the body, but not, cannot kill the soul. It's because of the resurrection Jesus says this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed everything. We've heard it say, you know, that changes everything. But there's one thing, the death and resurrection of Jesus truly has changed everything. Because Death no longer holds that great power. As followers of Christ, we fight against death, but we realize that it doesn't have that finality. There's a temporary nature now to death through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's why we are a people of hope, the unrelenting hope as Christians in Jesus Christ. This hope, this unbelievable power of God for us to shape our lives. It isn't to be something to put on the bookshelf, it isn't to, you know, be, have something in the nicety. It's to reshape the core of our hearts and minds. For the resurrection hope is to shape and transform us in Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at a couple things from this text to help us understand that. First of all, it demands our belief. It shapes our life. It demands our belief. The resurrection demands not just we acknowledge it, but that we believe it. That it's what we live into and out of couple of the verses that we've seen already in, in 1 Corinthians 15, we have here 20 and 23, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who fall asleep. But each in his turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, saying Christ has defeated death, and so we shall as well, those of us who are in Christ. As Christ has been raised from the dead, so shall we. And it demands not just we know about it, but that we believe it and we live into it. Jesus who died has now been made alive, put to death by the evil one in influencing people so that he could kill God's work of his kingdom. And yet what happened? The tyrants thought death would end it, close out this attempt to unsettle matters in the area that Jesus lived, but instead it blows up. And instead of being the final defeat, it becomes the day of victory for Christ and through the church. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was brought upon the church in Acts chapter 2, we see what? We see the power of Christ, the resurrected Christ, through his spirit 
in filling the church, and the church, the people of Christ are empowered. And the scheme to get rid of Jesus not only backfired, but explodes in the tyrant's faces, explodes in Satan's mind. The kingdom of God, the establishment of the church, the body of Christ on the earth, catches fire and goes far beyond what they could have comprehended with an ever-expanding circle of believers following Christ. It's into this culture and understanding. Paul writes to the church in Corinth some 25 years later. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, that's the foundation. He writes to us so that we can not only know about what Christ does, but live into it. And he says that the threat didn't have its intended effect. Instead, the message spread, and the church was anything but finished. The church that they wanted to destroy now was growing and expanding, becoming a great force throughout the world because of the truth of the resurrection. And Paul says, this demands our belief. This watershed, watershed development demanded living faith on those who hear. Not just intellectual assent, but living faith so that we are people who are affected by it. What God has done in history is to make a difference in our lives. If It may be true, but if it doesn't break into our life, what kind of impact, what kind of effect is it really having? We must believe it personally. It must come in and do its effects in us. Maybe an example. A couple of weeks ago was tax day, right? And what happens on tax day? We all have to make sure we file our taxes or get an extension and pay our, pay our taxes, do all that work, right? So we get that work done. But what happens? What happens if it's tax day and you have a 1998 tax instruction form? And you know, 1998 tax instruction form, that might have been the best instruction form ever written. That was the pinnacle of instructions. It was fantastic. But just because it's good, is it going to be helpful for you in filing your taxes for tax year 2021? No, because so much has changed. So many things have changed. It's not going to help you. The book that might have been great in the past, but it's trouble or at least missed opportunities for you today because of the changes. If you use an outdated guide, you'll miss important items regarding your current situation. Could miss or violate IRS guidelines for how taxes are to be counted and filed? Because you don't know or fail to accept what it is this year. The same could be said of those who live apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we live like Jesus Christ rose, but that's just something in the history book or if it's not really important to our life, we're living like we have this instruction manual from decades ago. We're missing on the current information of what God wants to do in your life and mine. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demands our belief, which we live into, for us to know and experience that Jesus is alive and what he's done for you and for me. And in that, it demands our belief, our acceptance. It isn't enough for us to know, but we must believe it trusting in it so the implications of what Christ has done can come, what? Full fruition in our lives. So it demands our belief. Well, secondly, it also decrees our motivation. Look at what, he, what Paul says in verse 29 and 31 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now if there is no resurrection, what will, do, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for you, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day for you. In other words, Paul's saying, what's the motivation? Understand the motivation through the resurrection. 
And Paul is using some interesting thoughts here to communicate the importance of the resurrection for your life and mine. Whether it's in AD 57 or so when this came about, or 2022. Interesting, Paul says something here about baptism from the dead. That's like, what in the world is he talking about? For the first thing that Paul does is he uses a practice that some had been using here in their own practice to help understand what the resurrection means. He speaks about the baptism from the dead, a practice unknown, not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament other than here, little used in history except for a few sects. The Mormon church uses that. Paul isn't teaching the practice, but he's referencing what some churches are doing to help people understand that the resurrection is a reality. And what he is saying, what is baptism? Baptism is done, is being baptized into the death and the resurrection. Below the water like the death, up above the water raised like the resurrection of Jesus Christ into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's identification of our faith in Jesus, that we are buried with Christ and now we're raised with him according to the scriptures. Baptism like the Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate here in a little while, allows us to participate, touch, feel, physically experience what points to Jesus' work in the cross in, in the empty tomb for us. We are buried and, praise God, raised with Christ. And baptism, this act of baptism, apart from the resurrection of Christ, is meaningless. What good is it to baptize, to put someone in, in, under the water and raise them up, unless there is the death and resurrection? You see how it connects? There's no sense to it apart from that. Paul uses this practice without encouraging it, but saying, why is it done? Well, it's done because there's the resurrection of Jesus Christ to make his point that the resurrection is a real thing. It's why then Paul has the second illustration, his way of life. What does he say in verse 30? Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Paul, you say, well, Paul, he's kind of going over the top on that. Well, not too much. If we read what Paul did through the book of Acts and through his experience in building up the church, why in the world do I live this way, endangering myself every hour, if not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Why would Paul do that? He's either got something wrong with him, or he realizes the resurrection is a true, real thing, and so he endures it because it's the way to help people understand this truth of God. And Paul can live this out. That's why he does it for Jesus Christ. See what Paul has and says in 2 Corinthians 11 in some of these verses. Here's some of what Paul experienced. When you say, why do, verse 30, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? This is what he's talking about. Here's what Paul says he's experienced. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in open sea. I've been constantly on the move and in danger in, from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I've faced the daily pressures of my concern for all the churches. Whew! That's amazing. 
But that's what Paul is referencing when he says, I face danger every day for you. Because of the resurrection, because Jesus died and rose again, I do this for you so that you can know this power and this truth in your life. Why would I go through that? Why would I be beaten like that? Why would I be stoned to death for, for you if this wasn't true? Paul says he faces it daily, and I'm willing to do it so that you can understand the resurrection of Christ. Says, I'm willing to die daily for you, to give my life for you so that you can know Christ. Do you see that motivation? That's the motivation. The resurrection is the motivation. Demands our belief. It decrees our motivation for why we live because it's true. It is the great truth for today and for eternity. And Paul says, I want you, the church in Corinth, but for us as well here in Ellsworth and surrounding area to know this truth. Paul was willing to die for it. And he goes on to say that in verse 32, he fought wild beasts, the resurrection being why. Paul was in Ephesus. Verse 32, let's look at that. He says, I face death every day. Yes, as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, Lord. Verse 32, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? And when he talks about fighting wild beasts, here he's not talking specifically about bears and lions and tigers. He's talking, using this as a metaphor for people. And if we look at Acts chapter 19, we see what Paul experienced. And maybe some of you have been to Ephesus in, in modern-day Turkey and been in this amphitheater, in this natural amphitheater. And we see, read the story in, in Acts 19 where there are some 20,000 people screaming and shouting, carrying on, and here's Paul being attacked by, by them. That's what he's talking about when he says wild beasts, that metaphor for those who are opposed to his work in Jesus Christ. He endured all this so that we could know the glories of the resurrection Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is to be motivation for our living. What is the impact the resurrection has in your life from one to ten on a scale? Does it have an impact? Does it shape and form how you live, how you act, how you handle yourself, your words, your finances, your time, your, your work, your hobbies? It's to be the motivation because it's God's work for us. Does it have that impact in your life as it had in Paul's? What's that motivation? The resurrection is to change how we live. Paul's life demonstrates it clearly, and he calls us to be impacted as well. Not in the same way as Paul, but in the way that God, where God has put us and how he wants us to live. The impact is to be the same, that the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus is to be motivation for our living and decisions in life. Thirdly, it demolishes our disobedience. Demolishes our disobedience. Paul continues on. The resurrection is to break down our sin and disobedience to God. For if the dead are not raised, Paul quoting Isaiah, using what would be good philosophy if there was no resurrection, where he says, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He says this in verses 32 through 34. If I fought the wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. Paul is saying that there are some who are ignorant of the work of God, his death and resurrection. And this should not be the case because we are people 
of Christ, of his death and resurrection. This should be, the gospel should be what we're proclaiming, and everyone should know about it. And he says, if the dead aren't raised, then what it is. Then eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, enjoy what this world offers, because that's it. There is nothing more. But in the resurrection, there is so much more. The difference of the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes things. So if that's true, it demolishes our disobedience. It means that we are those who no longer live contrary to what God wants, but live trying to follow him because of its glory and its truth. We aren't people under the enemy of death. That, that power has been destroyed over us. So any reason for our disobedience to God has been demolished. The resurrection has transformed many, and it transforms us. And as Jesus has risen, our life is changed. And any reason for disobedience has been demolished. Because some would say, well, there's no resurrection. They can paint a picture of why bother. But if there is a resurrection, we will stand before God for blessing or punishment, well, then there's a great reason to live for him. And the reasons for to live to self, to disobey, have been demolished. They don't exist. Paul says we must be a people who live unto a God. And Paul says that we are to die not for himself, but for, for, for Christ each and every day. Come back to your senses. Come back to your senses. And some in the church are living as if there's no resurrection. If the church of Jesus Christ handles itself, conducts itself as there's no resurrection, Paul is speaking to them in this way, that we've lost it. When he talks about bad company corrupts good character, he's talking about listening and being around false teaching that leads us astray from the truth of Christ. The church must not reflect the, the principles and the ways of this world. But we are to reflect the glories of the living Christ who died and rose again. So there's no basis for sin in Corinth. There's no basis for sin here in Bethel either. Because we are people of the resurrection. It demolishes our disobedience and it directs our living. That's the positive side. This changes us and directs our living. As we have no reason to disobey, now it's to direct our living as a people who know there's hope and a future. Not merely in our dreams, but in the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So if somehow that isn't how you're living in a regular sense, if that's not your habit, your pattern, Paul would say, come to your senses, sober up, leave your, your state of hopelessness, and come to the resurrection of Christ, that hope where we can live no longer in sin but obedience, because we know that we have a God who loves us, will bring us heavenly home all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the hope. There is a, a man I, I got to know a number of years ago, John Thomas. And John Thomas grew up in an urban area. He was a big, strong man. But he had a difficult upbringing in the urban area that he grew up. He got into drugs, wild living, and trouble. But in the 30s, he encountered the resurrected and living Jesus Christ. And his life was radically changed. He wanted others to know this wonderful truth, so he created a ministry called Glory Bound. He said, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are glory bound. Glory is being in the presence of God. We're bound for that, for all who trust in him. And so he, with his wife Sharon, in their garage, started a ministry. 
which had some decade or so tremendous impact on kids' lives, especially inner-city troubled youth, hearing the message of Jesus, helping them and families who have struggled in the past, whether it's substance abuse, domestic abuse, whatever. He helped them see that they could live for eternity because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, John's past, his drug abuse and, and wild living caught up with him physically and robbing his body of its strength and eventually life itself. But John's life was just as Paul described it. He lived for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He lived glory-bound. And his wife, Sharon, continued the ministry after his passing. He was a life that was beautifully changed because he understood the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His life was truly glory-bound. That's the resurrection for you and for me. So that we have and understand the implications of the resurrection for our life. God is a God of the living. He is sovereign over all things. He's a guarantor of our resurrection. He has forgiven our sins in Christ when we put our faith in him. He has the power available to us for today and for every day to come. And God has the ultimate victory over Satan and those things that come against us. Are you, am I living into this glorious, glory-bound resurrection? Are we falling prey to the tools, the wiles of the evil one? Let us be a people, let us be a church that is shaped by the power and the glory of Christ's death and his resurrection. Praise be to his name. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness, your goodness, and your love to us, for sending forth Jesus into this world so that our sins could be forgiven. By having Jesus go to the cross, bearing our shame and our sin, and pouring out your anger against sin upon Christ, taking the punishment that we deserved upon him. And as he died, we thank you that three days later, you brought him back to life. He rose forevermore. And Lord, we are people of the resurrection who live in light of what you've done. Help us to be those then who live into it and are changed by it. So Father, we just don't know about it, but we live into your resurrected life, that we are truly a glory-bound people. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray.